morning again, turn to the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. We started this study last week, and the scripture reading from Jeremiah ties in with what we're going to look at this morning as we continue our study in the Old Testament book of the minor prophet Habakkuk. As a way of review, remember Habakkuk penned these words around 609 to 607 B.C. It was written to the southern kingdom called Judah, at this time, the southern kingdom was not taken captive. That wasn't going to start for another two to four years. And then it was actually in three different phases, lasting uh, almost 30 years. The northern kingdom, Israel, is already gone since 524 B.C. And as Habakkuk looked around him, he saw the children of Judah still living in wickedness and not repenting and turning to God. Now, one would think Judah would repent after seeing the judgment of God on Israel. But did we not just hear read for us that God told Jeremiah to go to the potter's house and he, he, God says, I can do with the vessel what I desire to do. And he tells him, if you repent, I will not send this evil on you. But if you don't repent, I'm going to send this judgment on you. And what do the people say? Eh, we're good. That's still how people act today, is it not? So they lived as though it could not happen to them. Habakkuk was troubled by what he saw, and last week we examined his cry for the people and applied that, how we should cry over the condition of our nation, over the condition of our churches, and over the sin in our own lives. Now, as we continue in chapter 1, we see God's response to Habakkuk, which includes his impending judgment on Judah. Now, God is a God of love, mercy, and grace, is he not? But God is also a God of judgment of righteousness, of holiness, and wrath. Is he not? And as I mentioned earlier today, those attributes of God balance each other out. You cannot preach one without preaching the other because both are our God. All those attributes are God. We have many churches today that will only focus on the love, mercy, and grace of God and neglect preaching about his holiness and his righteousness and his judgment. But as we study these verses, we're going to look at God's coming judgment. So if we could again, please stand one more time in honor of the reading of God's word. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. Habakkuk chapter 1, starting at verse 5. Behold, ye among the heathen in regard, and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as an eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come for violence, their faces shall shut up, or sup up as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. And they shall scoff at the kings and the princes, shall be a scorn unto them, and they shall deride every stronghold, and they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, putting this his power unto his God. And so as we look at God's coming judgment, three points I want us to examine this morning. First of all, I want us to see God warns of judgment. 
God gives warning before he judges. Secondly, we'll see that God waits for judgment. And then we'll end with the fact that God will judge. You and I must understand all will be judged of God. Every person with whom you come in contact with will stand before God in judgment. For the Bible tells us every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There are no exceptions to the judgment of God. All will be judged. And I want us to examine God's coming judgment this morning from this passage. So let us bow for a word of prayer. Father, again, I pray you give wisdom and understanding and clarity. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would have reign in hearts to be able to convict. For the soul that does not know Christ, that they would understand the judgment of doom that they will face before a holy God. But Lord, that that's not where they has to be, for they can receive Christ as Savior and be at a different judgment, a judgment of reward. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning you would teach us from your word and help us to understand the upcoming judgment. And we'll thank you for it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week, we saw Habakkuk crying for the violence of the people. Basically, you know, looking at the people saying, God, why are you not doing anything about this? But God answers and says, Habakkuk, I'm going to send a judgment. I'm going to send the Chaldeans. And they're going to come and they're going to destroy this land. Now we're going to find out later, Lord willing, next week, Habakkuk didn't like God's choice of how he's going to judge. You know, we don't get to choose how God chooses to judge sin. But there is consequences to sin and there is judgment for sin, is there not? But God gave numerous warnings to the Jews before he sent judgment. Even back in Deuteronomy, as they're coming into the land, we read in chapter 28, Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. He shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as an eagle, flieth a nation whose tongue shall not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of old, nor show favor to the young. And so we see throughout Israel's history, especially after they became a divided kingdom, and we see that they had good kings and bad kings. Now, the northern kingdom actually never had any good kings. The southern kingdom had some that were good, and then some that were bad, and then good, bad, good, bad. And trying to study that whole timeline takes a long time to understand it. The northern kingdom is pretty easy, bad, all of them, okay? They never had a good king. And then God sent prophets, many prophets, warning them, if you do not repent, remember I promised you, if you turn from me, I will send judgment. Yet Israel continued to live in their sin, continued to violate God's law, continued to do it their own way. And in the 700 BC, Assyrian Empire comes and totally destroys the northern kingdom. And now, as I said, here we are in the 600s, and Habakkuk is seeing in Judah, the southern kingdom that is still standing, the same wickedness continuing, because even though they saw the northern kingdom destroyed, that's not going to happen to us. God loves us too much. It's not going to happen to us. And the prophets come and they preach, and the prophets come and say judgment is coming. But just as Charlie read this morning in Jeremiah, eh, 
It's okay. We're all right. It's not going to happen here. Folks, I believe human nature has not changed, and we still have people today, although God has judged nations for the sins that we have in our, our nation today, we still have people in our nation thinking somehow it's not going to ever happen to us. But God warned of judgment even back in Noah's day, did he not? In Genesis chapter 6, we're told, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, for yet his days shall be 120 years. And God used Noah to preach faithfully for 120 years because I am sure Noah became quite the spectacle of the world at that time. What in the world is this man doing building this huge vessel on land? Noah, there's no water around here. You fool, what are you doing? God's going to send a judgment. And he preached judgment for 120 years, yet nobody but his own family ever listened to him. But God gave plenty of warning. Let me tell you something. If people in Noah's day would have said, you know what? There might be something to what Noah's saying. There was room in the ark for them. But they chose not to get on the ark. There was room enough for them on the ark. But they made a choice to still say, eh, Noah, that's so foolish. We've never seen rain, Noah. This, this ark is never going to float. You're on dry land, you fool. As I said, Human nature has not changed because they didn't believe Noah either. We have today God's warning of coming judgment. You say, where do we have that? In the complete revealed word of God, the book of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. God has warned man again, judgment is coming. As I already said, in the book of Philippians, Paul writes and tells us, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Yet people still do not want to believe in the upcoming judgment. Look again at verse 5. Behold ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which ye should not believe, though I told it you. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, but you're not going to believe it. Hold your place here in Habakkuk, and just go back a few pages to the major prophet Jeremiah. Not the same passage as already read for us, but in chapter 44 is where I'd like you to go with me, please. Jeremiah in chapter 44 and I want us to see again another instance where men deny pending judgment. Jeremiah chapter 44 and starting at verse 1, it says, The word that came unto Jeremiah concerning all the Jews that dwell in the land of Egypt, which dwell in Mig Migdal and Terephrees and Noph, and in the count, uh, country of Pathos, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Ye have seen all the evil that I have brought upon Jerusalem and upon all the cities of Judah. And behold, this day they are a desolation, and no man dwelleth therein because of their wickedness, which they have committed to provoke me to anger, in that they went to burn incense and to serve other gods, whom they knew not, neither they nor their fathers. Howbeit I sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not this abominable thing that I hate. But they hearkened not or inclined their ear to turn from their wickedness to burn 
no incense unto other gods. Wherefore my fury and mine anger was poured out, poured forth, and was kindled in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, and they are wasted and desolate as this day. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord God of, of hosts, the God of Israel, Wherefore commit ye this great evil against your souls to cut off you from, from, from you a man and woman, a child, a suckling, out of Judah, to leave you none to remain, and that ye provoke me under wrath and the works of your hands, burning incense and the other gods in the land of Egypt, whether ye have gone to dwell, that ye might cut yourselves off, that ye might be a curse and a reproach among all nations of the earth. Have ye forgotten the wickedness of your fathers and the wickedness of the kings of Judah and the wickedness of their wives and your own wickedness? of your wives which did commit in the land of Judah in the streets of Jerusalem. They are not humbled, even unto this day, neither have they feared nor walked in my law, nor my statutes that I sit, bef uh, sit before you and before your fathers. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will set my face against you for evil and cut off all Judah. And I will take the remnant of Judah and set their faces to go in the land of Egypt to sojourn there. And they shall be consumed and fall the land of Egypt. And they shall be consumed by the sword and by the famine and shall die from the least even to the greatest. By the sword and famine they shall be an execration and an astonishment and a curse and a reproach. For I will punish them to dwell in the land of Egypt if I have punished Jerusalem by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. So that none of the remnant of Judah which are gone in the land of Egypt to sojourn there shall escape or remain that they should return to the land of Judah to the which they have a desire to return to dwell there for none shall return but such as shall escape. Then all the men which knew that their wives had burned incense and other gods, and the women that stood by, and a great multitude, and all the people that dwelt in the land of Egypt in Pathos, answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee, but we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth to burn incense unto the queen of heaven, and to pour out drink offerings unto her as we have done, we and our fathers are kings or princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of victuals, and were well and saw no evil. Let me explain the situation here. This is 586 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar has just come in and completely destroyed Jerusalem. Judah is now wiped out. There's this remnant left, and Nebuchadnezzar sets up Gedaliah as governor of the area, and God tells the people, the remnant there, just serve, just follow Gedaliah, just stay here, don't move, follow what Babylon tells you to, it's going to be well with you. But they kill Gedaliah, they get nervous, and a group of them move down to Egypt, and they start going back to worshiping the Queen of Heaven, and God tells them, stop, stop doing this, turn to me, and uses Jeremiah to warn them because Jeremiah was dragged along with them down to Egypt where they were told not to go, but they do it anyhow. And now God is saying, look, you are never going to return to Judah unless you follow what I say. And they say to Jeremiah, we don't care what God said. When we used to offer incense to the queen of heaven, everything was fine. And ever since we started following God, nothing went well. So we're just going to go back to what we were doing. Folks, God warned them, I'm going to judge you. And they said, we don't care. And I feel that, unfortunately, that is too often how men still respond today when they hear the judgment of God. I don't care what you tell me God's going to do. I'm still doing it my way. But nobody is without excuse because God has warned and said, I will judge. I will judge. 
Because there will be a judgment for sin. Men still denying pending judgment. You're all familiar with the passage in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. Knowing this, the first of all, that shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that was being overflown with water perished. But the heavens and earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Just as they would not acknowledge God, and men look at the world today and refuse to acknowledge that God judged this earth once with the flood, so they refuse to acknowledge that one day God is going to judge this earth again, and this whole earth is going to be burned up. Well, while we say God warns of judgment, we also see God waits for judgment. Habakkuk again wrote this, in probably somewhere between 609, 607. So we're talking two to four years before the judgment of God starts on Judah. Now, it was three different campaigns in which Nebuchadnezzar came in. It was 605 BC, 597 BC, and 586 BC when he finally destroyed Judah. You think after the first time in 605, maybe the people would have turned back to God, but they didn't. Maybe after the second time when he comes back, just what, seven years later? Or eight years later, in 597, they would have turned back to God, but they didn't. You see, God, while he is going to judge and warns of judgment, is a long-suffering God. Aren't you thankful he's a long-suffering God? How many people in this room got saved the very first time you heard the gospel? Okay, I saw one hand. How many heard the gospel numerous times before you finally accepted Christ as Savior? May I say, are you thankful for the long-suffering of God? That he didn't give you just one shot and you're done? I hope so. Numbers 14, 18 tells us, The Lord is long-suffering of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and the transgression, that by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, the third and fourth generation. Oh, he's a long-suffering God. 2 Peter 3, 9 tells us, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise to some men count slackness, but is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is a long-suffering God. He's long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish. God made a way of salvation. We talked about the days of Noah. God made a way of salvation then, did he not? He had Noah building an ark. And God said, Men's days on earth is going to be 120 years to Noah. They had 120 years to repent and chose not to. God's judgment on, on Israel and Judah were delayed for a very long time before God finally sent judgment on them. Today, people scoff and say, where's the coming of Christ? Let me tell you something. God is being patient with them, giving them opportunity to repent. But it doesn't mean the judgment will be any less real when it does happen. But I am thankful that right now, the patience of God, the long-suffering of God, is waiting, giving men and women opportunity to turn to him. Christian, you and I need to remember the long-suffering of God. We need to remember his patience with us while we were still sinners. We need to remember his patience with us as his own children. Because how many times do we 
sin against the holy God. We know better as Christians, but then we do it anyhow. Aren't you glad that he's still willing to forgive? Aren't you glad it's not like Peter says, Lord, how many times should I forgive? Till seven times? Peter thought he was being generous. I'm going to forgive seven times. But boy, that eighth one, I'm going to hammer him. Jesus says, not till seven, but till 70 times seven. Okay, now I can see Peter getting out his little chart, 490. 491, you're done. I'm done. I'm not forgiving you anymore. No, that's not what God meant. He said, you keep on forgiving, and you keep on forgiving, and you keep on forgiving. Because I'm sure if every one of us were honest with ourselves, we would say that we've gone to God more than 490 times saying, Lord, forgive me, I have sinned against you. And aren't you glad that he still says, I forgive? I forgive? Folks, let's think about the long-suffering of God. Hear Habakkuk saying, Lord, the sin of my people is so wicked. Lord, I cry for my people. But God says to him, I'm going to send judgment. And here's how I'm going to judge your people. But not yet, Habakkuk, because it's not time. They still have time to repent. Think about this. Habakkuk takes the message, as other prophets have been doing, to the people and says, repent, turn back to God. Do you think they do? You know, when we preach the coming judgment of God, people mock, people can laugh. But the Bible still says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is a judgment coming. There is a judgment coming. You can deny it. They can try to mock you. They can try to say it's not going to happen. But what they are not understanding is right now, it has not happened yet because God loves them enough to be patient and wait for them to have opportunity to repent and turn to Him. And yet, instead of turning to Him, humbling themselves and turning to Him, many men defy God and say, it's not going to happen to me. God waits, giving time for men to repent. But our last point, God will judge. God told Noah, 120 years, and I'm going to judge this world. And there did come a day when God loaded up the ark with all the animals and said, Noah, it's time to get on board the ark. And God closed the door. And then what happened just a few days later? The rain started. I could imagine the men and women outside the ark pounding on the outside of that ark. Noah, let me in! Let me in! I believe now! But it was too late. Judgment was coming. And everything that was not inside the ark died. They had their opportunity to believe God, and they chose not to. Could you imagine how it must have broken the heart of Noah and his family, hearing people scratching and clawing at the outside of the ark trying to find a way in? But it was too late. It was too late because they had rejected God. I can imagine... Israel, as the Assyrian army descends upon them, people saying, oh God, save us. God, keep us from the sword of the Assyrian army. But it was too late. They had rejected God's warning. I can imagine Judah, as Nebuchadnezzar and his army came in, turning to God all of a sudden, saying, God, save us. But God saying, it's too late. I sent my prophets. I sent my warning. I waited. But now judgment must be carried out. 
And there's going to come a day at what is called the great white throne judgment where I believe people will be crying out to God for mercy and God's going to say, it is too late. You had your opportunity. Depart from me. Folks, that's a sad day. That is a very sad day. But judgment will come. And as I just mentioned, for the unbeliever, there is coming a day of judgment. A judgment called the great white throne judgment. But before we get into that, may I go back to our passage in Habakkuk and just point out a few things. God chose to use the Chaldeans, this wicked nation, to bring his judgment upon Judah. Now we're going to look, Lord willing, next week at the response of Habakkuk to God saying he's going to use the Chaldeans to bring his judgment. But I want you to see a few things about these people. Verse 7, they are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed to themselves. You see, they are kind of a law unto themselves. They are a heathen people, a strong people. Verses 8 and 9, it says, Their horses are swifter than leopards. They are more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen shall spread themselves, and the horsemen shall come from far, and they shall fly as the eagle to haste to eat. They're going to be swift. They're going to be violent. Verse 9, they shall come for all violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind, and they shall gather to captivity as the sand. They're fearless. Verse 10, they shall scoff at the kings and princes, shall scorn them. They shall deride every stronghold, and they shall heap dust and take it. And then here's a sad part. Verse 11. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing his power unto his God. You know the sad part? The Chaldeans were going to give credit for their victory over Judah to their false gods. You see, as I said, we can't choose the consequences or the judgment of our sin. But sin will be judged. Now going back to what I started. God does make clear that there are some judgments that are going to be coming. And I believe every man, boy and girl on planet earth today is going to stand at one of two judgments. Now there are several judgments mentioned that are going to be coming, but I believe the two apply to those of us living today. The first one is for the unbeliever. And this is explained to us in Revelation chapter 20. If you want to turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, the Word of God says, And I saw a great white throne, and it sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. This judgment is for every person who has not received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. 
You see, the Bible talks of death in three different ways. It talks about physical death. Because the idea of death is always separation, and physical death is when the soul and body separate, or the soul and the spirit separate from the body, and the body dies, and we plant it back in the ground. The body is just a vehicle that carries the real you around. But the Bible also teaches about a spiritual death. That it says all of us were born dead in sins, right? We are born dead in our sins. We are born spiritually separated from God. We inherited this sin nature from our father Adam. And because of our sin, we have not that, that oneness with God that Adam enjoyed because we're separated from God. So we're born spiritually dead. But I am thankful that the Bible teaches that God loved mankind enough that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on a rugged cross and shed his blood that there could be remission of sins, that that sin debt could be paid, that I could be restored, that I could be reconciled, that I could be brought back in a relationship with God so that I could be quickened or made spiritually alive. Amen? But those who die without Christ are still spiritually dead and will experience what we just read about in the book of Revelation called the second death. It is being cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. You say, well, why would a loving God do so? Listen, why would a man reject the loving God's offer of salvation? God has already provided a way. He's already been long-suffering, giving time to repent. Why would they reject? People say, well, I'll wait till I die and I'll figure it out then. Let me tell you something, it's too late then. Your choice will be made while you're still on this planet. So everybody who stands at that judgment, it is a judgment of eternal condemnation. They all will be cast into the lake of fire, the place of torments, the place of outer darkness, the place of gnashing of teeth, the place where the fire is not quenched, where the worm dieth not, the place that is so terribly horrific to think about will be their eternal destination because their name was not found in the Lamb's Book of Life. Folks, I want you to think, every single person on this planet is going to end up at one of two places. They're either going to this judgment to be cast in the lake of fire for all eternity. People with whom you come in contact with every day if they do not know Jesus Christ, their eternal fate will be the fires of hell. To be tormented day and night with the unquenchable thirst, with the unrelentless pain that they will suffer as the fires continue about them, but they're not consumed. The screaming, the gnashing of teeth. As certain as I'm standing here today, a place called hell is real. And people are going there because they have rejected Jesus Christ. That does not make God a mean ogre. That does not make God unjust. No, because he in his mercy has provided a way of salvation through his dear son, Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, there is another judgment. I told you every person alive today is going to stand before one of two judgments. While that's a horrific judgment to think about, there is another judgment. Again, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you bow the knee now and accept Jesus Christ as Savior, you will still be judged, but it's going to be a total different judgment. 
It's not going to be a judgment of condemnation. It's going to be a judgment of rewards. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And the word comes from the Greek word bima, which is the seat that the, uh, the, um, at the Greek games, the judge would sit upon the seat to be able to judge who was the winner, to be able to give the awards to those who had run the race faithfully, who had won the race. And so that illustration is used of the judgment seat of Christ, a judgment where every Christian, every born-again believer will stand and give an account of what they have done in this body since they have received Christ as Savior, whether it be good or whether it be bad, what have you done for Christ since the day that you received him as your Savior? Because you still will give an account of it. Now let me say, a lot of people think it's going to be a high five and hallelujah shout and great time. And if you have served Christ and what you have built is gold, silver, and precious stones, it will be a time of rejoicing. But if you have wasted your life for Christ, and it is wood, hay, and stubble, and it burns to ashes, it will be a time of regret. Because just as we can earn rewards, there can be the loss of rewards. Now, I am glad it is not a judgment of condemnation. I am glad nobody standing before the judgment seat of Christ will ever hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. Nobody standing at the judgment seat of Christ will ever experience a moment of the fires of hell. I am thankful for that. But let me tell you something, Christian, that goes far beyond that. It is what are we going to be able to give back to the Savior at that judgment? What are we going to be able to give back to him as a way of saying thank you for what you have done for me? As he gives us rewards, as he gives us crowns, are we going to be able to cast those crowns back at his feet and say, no, Lord, these belong to you. Thank you for what you have done for me. Are we going to have gold and silver and precious stones that when it goes through the trial will be, or fire will be refined and will be something that we can give back to him? Are we going to be left with a pile of ashes? 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear for the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones... Wood, hay, stubble, every man's work should be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, so yet as by fire. Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? So then he continues, but he's saying, okay, we're going to stand before this judgment seat of Christ and every man's work is going to be tried. Was it gold, silver, precious stone? Was it wood, hay, stubble? If your work abides, you're going to receive a reward. If it doesn't, you're going to suffer loss, yet not an eternal loss. Now, we're not keeping these rewards in heaven. I again believe we are going to be casting them at the feet of Christ because heaven is a, not a place where we're all going to walk around saying, look what I did, okay? Because everything there is about Jesus Christ, amen? amen? But let me tell you something. I don't want to stand before my Savior and be ashamed or be embarrassed because I had nothing to give back to him because my whole life was wasted living for self and not for him. Christian, you and I need to understand there's still a judgment. And you and I are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you? 
then that brings me to the last point. We've seen that God warns of judgment. God waits for judgment, but God will judge. So then, therefore, let us live in light of the coming judgment. What do you mean by that, preacher? 2 Corinthians 5.11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord would persuade men, but we remain manifest unto God, I trust also may manifest in your own consciences. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Knowing that every person is going to stand before a holy God in judgment. A righteous God in judgment. That it's going to be a righteous judgment. It's going to be a perfect judgment, but everyone is going to stand before him in judgment nonetheless. Then that means everybody with whom I come in contact, I should be conscious of their soul, conscious of their soul, and realize that I, as an ambassador of heaven, have a responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with every one of them. It was asked earlier about how can men's mind be so blinded that they can't see the truth. The truth is, folks, is they're in outer darkness. They're in such darkness they need the light. And you and I carry the light. We're to be light bearers. We're to shine the light to them so that they can come to the light. The light being Jesus Christ. But if you and I are hiding our light, how dare we do that to this lost world? Because we are the hope that they have through uh, Jesus Christ is their hope through us telling them the truth. Because we have been given the commission of being the ambassadors of God to take the light to this world, and you and I have a responsibility, an accountability, to take the truth to this world around us, telling them that there is a judgment coming. Let them mock if they may, but the truth is, is God is being patient, giving them opportunity to repent. And you and I have the responsibility to share the love of Christ with them so that they have that opportunity to repent. Live in light of judgment, but then let's talk about our judgment. If I'm living in the light of the fact that I'm going to stand before my Savior one day at the judgment seat of Christ, I don't say this to be arrogant. I don't say this to try to be about me, but I want, I want rewards at that judgment. I want them not because I'm going to keep them, not because I deserve them, not because of anything I've done, but I want them because I want to be able to lay them back at my Savior's feet as a way of saying thank you for what you have done for me. I want to be rewarded there, but I will not be rewarded there if I am living for self, if my motives are about me, if I'm doing everything for selfish reasons, if I am living life because to fulfill the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, I will not receive rewards. But I need to be living every day as though Jesus Christ could come today. I need to be living every day, holy, separated unto him. Stop making excuses why I want to play with sin. Stop making excuses for why I'm not doing the things I know I need to be doing. But let's start today, today, to do what I know I need to be doing for Christ today. Start simple, Christian. You know today you need to be reading and studying your Bible. You know today you need to be praying. You know today you need to be faithful to church. You know today that you need to be faithfully tithing to your local church. You know today you need to be faithful in sharing the gospel with others. You know today you're supposed to separate from the world. You know today you're supposed to do those things. Do those things today! Habakkuk cried because of the violence that he saw in his land. God answered that he's going to judge because God is a God of judgment. All will stand before him in judgment. All will stand before him in judgment.
but God is patiently waiting. Come home, sinner. Come home. Come to me. He's crying out to us, his children. Live for me. Glorify me with your lives. Are you ready to stand before God in judgment? If not, then why don't today you get ready for God's coming judgment? Let's bow forward a prayer.